0: You're listening to Father Kirby Longo's homilies, powered by Mountain Catholic. Father Kirby is a priest of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Helena and pastor of Christ the King University Parish in Missoula, Montana. In all three of our readings today, we see very clearly the effects of the gospel in the world. Once the gospel is unleashed upon the world, what it what it does, you know, for better or for worse, depending on who you are. You know, in our first reading, Paul and Barnabas are are preaching God's love in the synagogue at first they're just preaching to the Jewish people there and the Jewish people go out and spread the message to all the Gentiles and by the next Sunday everyone's there or by the next Sabbath everyone's there to hear them and it says when they preach about God's love for them and the fact that he has now sent his message out to the whole world says they were delighted when they heard this and glorified the word of God We also see that shortly thereafter, they're persecuted because people are jealous and there's a lot of weird sort of personal tensions going on. So they're pushed out of the town. But just like last week with Peter and the apostles, they receive it joyfully and go on their way. Then in our brief gospel, Jesus gives a very clear image. He says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. No one can take them out of my hand. This tells us, that God's promise is sure, that his word is reliable, that if we give ourselves to him, he's gonna be faithful. When no one else is faithful, God is faithful. And then it points to something else that maybe isn't as clear. We get this crazy image in our second reading. I don't know if anyone even kind of fully was able to grasp it in their imagination. But John says, a great multitude, no one could count from every nation, race, people, tongue. They stood before the throne, before the lamb, wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hand. The white robes and palm branches are of the martyrs. It's representative of the martyr. You'll see that in any icons or paintings. And then he says, they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. It's kind of a crazy image to think about. But you have this army of martyrs in heaven from every nation, race, people, and tongue. That didn't exist yet in John's time. He's looking out into the whole future of the church at all the martyrs that will ever die for the Lord in every place, every time. And that's been true. That prophecy has, in a very real way, come true. Wherever the gospel goes, it bears fruit, but it also faces tension in the same way that Paul faced it. And so... Jesus tells us and John sort of reinforces that even death, whether that's just a natural death or a martyrdom, is conquered by the Lord, it has no power over God. He's gone into the depths and conquered even death itself. So throughout these 2,000 years, Christians have taken that clearly to mean that we can preach the gospel boldly, no matter the time or place, and have no fear of what, any consequences. Nothing that we face can overcome us. And because of that, we can preach peacefully. We don't have to fight in the, may, in the way that many sort of religions feel the need to physically fight for their faith. We don't have to do that. We don't have to coerce or overpower anyone because we don't fear death. So, in a very real way in the gospel we go forth as lambs not as warriors conquering the world by force so those of you know who know me well know that I, I don't really usually preach on current affairs uh i don't even really read the news i get it all secondhand. if it's important enough someone will tell me and and if it's important enough someone's going to put it in a book and then i'll read it i'm not going to read a blog uh, so, even more than that, there's no reason to preach on anything really beyond the scriptures. The scriptures are so much more real, you could say, than anything we're going to read in the daily news. Now, of course, I'm saying that because I'm going to break from that trend and I'm actually going to speak on a current event, uh, our, our sur- sort of current moment, you could say, in the United States. All of you know by now, I'm sure that a draft of the Dobbs Supreme Court case was leaked, and were this draft finalized, it would overturn Roe v. Wade. Now, if you're unaware of this until this moment, I envy your lack of connection. So we know that the moment an embryo forms, even earlier, you could say, from the embryonic state, the moment that the sperm and egg come together and that that zona pellucida forms an impermeable wall that then is sort of defending it from anything outside of it, that this is a distinct organism, that this is now different from mother and father. It's its own thing. And the only difference between that moment and you or I is time and nourishment. That's inevitably going to be what happens. That isn't theology, that is, for lack of a better word, science. I hate saying the word science uh, because it's just taken on a lot of baggage, whatever, okay. Anyways, as Catholics, we, we believe that every one of those embryos, even pre-embryonic state beings, is as much a son or daughter of God as you and I. So that's why we've been praying and marching and preaching for an end to abortion since 1973, since it was legalized. Now, quite suddenly, that moment may be closer than we imagined, at least in certain places. And the question now is, what are we actually going to do about it? I was listening to some commentators who were noting the silence, the lack of, you could say, celebration amongst many supposed pro-life people because there's a lot, there was a lot of posturing forever. No one ever actually thought this was going to happen. And now they said we're like, the, we're like the dog that caught the car, and they caught the car, and they don't know what to do with the car once they catch it. And so what, that is the question. What are we actually going to do? I think, as far as I know, there's only one real and fruitful way forward. The early Christians used this way to, in a sense, transform the Roman Empire. Missionaries everywhere have been doing the same thing since. Everywhere we take the gospel. In a very real way, by the power of of this method, Martin Luther King Jr. won the Civil Rights Movement. You know, statistically, it's the case that someone in this church today was directly involved in an abortion, whether in having one or in aiding a friend or girlfriend or spouse. Or in paying for one and I want to tell anyone if if that's you if if you're one of if you were involved in some way that God loves you that's true that's absolutely true he loves you personally intimately perfectly and he died on the cross for you he's claimed you as much a son or a beloved daughter as anyone else here Do we believe that? Do we believe that fact? His love is the standard for us. We can't lower that standard at all. We're called to nothing less. And it's only in imitating Christ and his love that he has for us, that everyone, for everyone, that we could ever bring an end to abortion. Only if we truly love our neighbor, truly pray for those who persecute us, not answer them in kind, but love them, right in the midst of that, and if we live truly sacrificial lives for the poor, if we actually sacrifice for those in need. Because we all know having a child is a sacrifice of love. About to baptize two of them today, lives were transformed when you had them in a beautiful way, but it's not easy. You know, my mom repeated to us all the time when we were kids, and her and my grandma repeated to her when she was younger. She said, once you have a kid, your happiness is irrelevant to me. Only your kid's happiness matters. It's basically, once you have a kid, it's about them. It ain't about you anymore. That is true, and it's beautiful, but it's no small thing. It's not an easy thing to literally give up your life for another person. And that's what we're calling people to when we call for an end to abortion. We're calling them to heroic love. And we all know that as as important as Allah will be to helping to begin this process, Allah can never provoke love. Allah can never force us to give of ourselves sacrificially. Only love calls for love in return. The apostles and martyrs gave us that ultimate example in loving to the point of death, in actually physically giving their lives. May we, in our own small ways, just continue this great Christian tradition in loving in real ways, not in in tweeting about it or in talking about it, but in doing something about it. So we go forth and actually do that. And then perhaps we'll bring about a true culture of life. Amen.